Welcome to another episode of the Cornet Northern California Chapter Podcast. My name is John Lucas. I'm the Vice President of Real Estate and Workplace Services at Juniper Networks. I'm here today with Barbara Donaldson, Senior Vice President of Workplace Resources at Synopsys. Hi, Barbara. How are you doing today? Really great, John. So glad to be here with you. Today, Barbara and I will be discussing some of the most important trends impacting corporate real estate today. We'll also share some of the most impactful experiences that we have had that have helped shape us and our careers over the period of time we've been doing corporate real estate. Mm -hmm. So Barbara, what do you believe are the most important leadership qualities for corporate real estate professionals and why? And what have you done to cultivate them for yourself and you know for your teams? It's, it's a great question, John, and uh, leadership is really a big part of it, and many skill sets go with that. The first I would say is influence. Uh, we work across all lines of the business. Uh, we work at all levels of the organization, and we really need to be able to get things done through influencing others. So I think that's an important skill. Um, another is really understanding you know, what drives your vision and purpose. I always try to start out every conversation I have with Um, people I'm meeting with and remind them of our real estate strategy as an example, because my real estate strategy drives all the other discussions that we're having. So that's important. Managing ambiguity. Um, We tend to do long-term planning in real estate and facilities and things change. So you have to be comfortable with the uncertainty, changing course, as we've experienced a lot this, uh, this time around. And then just being innovative, um, really trying to find new solutions to new problems that exist and, and come up in our path. Uh, for my team, I always encourage them to do all do their education, take their go to academia, MCR classes through Cornet, certifications through IFMA. To me, it's all part of learning. And I also try to put them in kind of stretch projects where they're going to have an opportunity to test out their skills, meet, meet with other people. And how this has all helped in COVID, of course, you know, I managed BCP for our company. And um, that includes responding to the pandemic as early as mid-December. We have a large presence in Wuhan. So I was involved at the early onset, helping our China team. And again, that was a lot around communications, influencing um, remotely, bringing the right people together and, and driving solutions. And John, how about from your perspective? Yeah, no, I think you bring up a, a lot of great points. I, I kind of think of leadership um, really kind of in two, two forms. I think you really, you kind of touched on them. I might just put it in different terms. One is leading others, which is leading your team and, you know, having them uh, grab onto the mission. And as you said, kind of what the purpose of what you're trying to accomplish. So there's a part about leading them. And I think, you know, one of the fundamental leadership qualities you have to have in a sense to get people to follow you is empathy. You got to have, you got to have a sense of um, understanding, feeling, and caring about your team members. And when you look at any great leader, the one quality that they have is they cared about their team and the, the members of their team. And when your team members know you care about them, they'll follow you, which is great. Um, so you got to have that. So, you know, just taking the time to understand what's going on in people's lives, what's, what's, what they're excited about, what their challenges are. Um, is I think it's very powerful and it may seem like chit chat. It may seem like, oh, you're not really talking about the latest deliverable you have to have, but it goes a long way to building that relationship. And then the other way I think about it is I'll I'll call it kind of leading upwards, um, which is it's 
it, you kind of bring people along with you, but you also have to manage those that are above you, your manager and their manager, or your senior vice president, or whoever it is. And you have to have certain qualities to be able to have the kind of conviction and courage mm. to manage them. So there's a manage downward and a manage upward. And those are leadership qualities that um, you have to, you have to put into play. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I think about that, you know, as far as you know, what have I done to cultivate that during the course of my career? Um, obviously there's the basics like doing training and things like that, uh, taking the opportunities that are presented to you if it's an HR training. Um, but I also try to look at the challenges that have been presented in my career and try to put them in that perspective that I may be having a challenge with somebody that's reporting to me, or I may have a challenge with somebody I report to. And I, I try to p- position it from the standpoint of how do I need to lead? I need to provide an example of leadership in either situation and try to provide one that's inspiring, one that actually drives forward to the right conclusion. And sometimes I would have to say it's harder managing upwards than downwards. Um, so, you know, just some of my thoughts on that. I would agree with you. I, th- I think it's, it's the most challenging part is, is upward. And I think uh, it's easy to lose sight of that as you're growing in your career. And it's, it's, it's a definitely a valuable skill. Yeah. I mean, it's sometimes it's hard to challenge your boss and, <laughs> and sometimes it takes multiple times to challenge your boss. I've had it many times where I've, I've gone to my boss and said, I disagree and here's why. And, and I get blown back. And then I come back to the next meeting and I say, I still disagree and here's why. Mm-hmm. And I get blown back. Yeah. And then maybe the third time around, oh, I see what you're saying, John. Actually, you presented some good facts here. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to think about this differently. That's a challenging thing because when you get blown back, you know, it's easy to just go back and say, they're not interested in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, to lead, you have to have conviction. Yep, absolutely. Well, speaking of challenges, John, um, be interesting if you could share a couple of, you know, challenges that kind of come to mind in your career and kind of how you work through those, but also particularly what you learned from them. Sure. Yeah. There's, I can think of some um, through, through my career and I, I look back on them. And at the time I, I wouldn't have thought of that way. I can think of some that were early in my career, mm-hmm. some that were mid-career and some that are more recent. And one in particular, I can think of this very early in my career. I was literally out of college, two years into working at HP, project manager, managing small, lower level projects. Mm-hmm. And I was given an assignment to help renovate an area. There was a gentleman that um, was just a bulldog of a client to work with, just had a horrible reputation. Here I was a young, just out of college kind of professional. And I witnessed this gentleman just tear into uh, another young woman who was part of the project team and literally make her cry in the project meeting. Mm. It was horrible. And I was the project manager. And I, I took that and I said, you know what? I'm being indoctrinated into the HP way and what that is. And there's a leadership quality about that. And I can't stand this. I can't sit for it. So I went to my manager and I said, I think I need to take this gentleman to HR. Mm. And my manager said, if you think that's necessary, then go ahead and do it. And I did. And the long story short on that is what I came to discover through a, a fairly lengthy process of him getting disciplined is he was a diabetic. 
and nobody knew it. And his horrible reputation was based in the fact that he didn't do a good job of controlling his blood sugar levels. And he was always, he was up and down all over the place. And so it, it kind of gave me a sense of confidence Mm -hmm. to stand up even at a very early part of my career. Mm -hmm. The woman who um, was kind of the victim of all this was so thankful and grateful. It just earned, and all the team members uh, appreciated that. So that was just an early career. Um, Mid-career, I would say there one particular project was in Paris that was completely off the rails. I had to fly to Paris, find out what was going on, only to find out that most people on the project only spoke French. <laughs> uh, it was just a nightmare to try to figure out what was going on. I found out that we had an architect who was a very boutique architect and very steeped in design, but very unpractical in delivering the project. And that's why it was off the rails. I ended up having to fire him on the spot, mm. appoint our project manager to take over as the lead, trust that he and his firm could carry the design through and the project through, left that project, then launched into a series of meetings and was able to get the project on track and deliver on time. But it was a very tough judgment call at that point in time Mm -hmm. to blow, literally blow up the project, blow up the structure of the project, assign it to somebody else Mm -hmm. and then take it forward. But what was on the line was we had a lease that was terminating. If we didn't deliver this on time, all of our people would have been out on the street. So it was kind of like a make or break moment. And, you know, you just had to make the call, take all the information you can, can mm-hmm. make a judgment and, and, and then make a call and, and then see it through. And then the third one I would say is more recent um, is um, having the experience of this kind of more managing upwards, managing our executive team around the, the vision and the building of a corporate campus. Mm-hmm. Um, very exciting leadership opportunity um, to lead upwards and uh, lead our executives through a very thoughtful conversation about the workplace. And um, it was just a great experience uh, mm-hmm. to be in the role of actually leading a whole executive team that doesn't normally talk about this and get them to have a very clear consensus about their vision. Those are great stories. Great stories. I think, you know, from my perspective, very similar. I mean, actually maybe just remember my, my recent uh, corporate experience where we did actually within the course of five years did what I call two large new corporate headquarters. And it was really a big change initiative because we had facilities that were built, you know, in the 80s and kind of the old style of, you know, huge cubicles with tall walls and lots of hard wall offices. And we are migrating, of course, into more, what is today might not be in the future, kind of the open plan design and such. And so really, you know, leveraging a lot of that learning that I had around how to communicate, how to influence and get people aligned. But I like your international stories too, because I actually kind of jumped into real estate and almost immediately into the international side. And that's where I feel like I had learning. I call them my, the challenges are experiences that you get the learning from. And, but that was really, yeah. It's kind of that, it's that, oh no moment. Yeah. Oh my God. It's, it's those moments where, you know, yeah. yeah, this is a learning moment. Right. Right. I mean, we had I th- many of, you know, my Armenia story um, where um, it was, I was really new to international real estate and I had a large project that I was responsible for in Armenia and Armenia had none of the resources we're used to. There was no brokerage communities. There was no 
project management companies. And so you really had to, you know, scruff around and try to get right the resources. And we ended up having to midstream in the project um, fire the contracting company because of some issues. And, but again, it was really about, I knew better, but I was influenced by, by others that saw that as a the more cost-effective solution. And we ended up paying the price for that. So my learning was, even though I had no experience in Armenia, I had experience around project management and those other components. And so I, I learned there how to, in the future, influence those decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you another question, um, Barbara. Um, how do you think COVID has changed the role of CREs? And you know, what are some of the most significant factors you believe will transform the future of corporate real estate? Well, we're all going through a really significant time right now with the, with the, with the COVID pandemic around the world. Um, I do I do see very distinct regional differences, and those of us who have you know sites in Asia, Pac, Taiwan, China, etc. I mean, they're somewhat back to work as normal. Um, they didn't weren't impacted as significantly, but other parts of the world we're seeing a long a long road ahead. And I believe our executives, I'm seeing, I get tons of articles all the time. I'm sure you do too, John, about what's happening and surveys and such. And even though we've only been in it six, eight months now, um, it seems like there's a desire to pivot and really look at how will this influence long-term real estate, even as we come out of COVID, which we will, will some of the learnings and some of the ways we're working migrate um, into kind of the future of work? And we're all looking at that right now. I think we'll see working from home being integrated more into the, the future of workplace. We're hearing maybe the office, traditional office will be more around where you go to collaborate, to innovate, to network, to mentor. I think both will have a life. Um, yeah, and as real estate professionals, we need to uh, understand our company. How does that fit into that equation? How do we adapt our footprints? Do we need more space, less space? Do we need to redesign it? And we're a little bit on the crystal ball side right now, trying to make those assumptions with kind of an unseen future. And that's the ambiguity that I talked about earlier. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And I think uh, I'd say in, of any time in my career, you know, we talk about uh, the real estate uh, being brought into the C-suite. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen a, a time that we're more invited into the, e- the C-suite. Uh, they're wanting to know our opinion. They're asking because we're the we're the tangible uh, deliver you know the, the entity that delivers that tangible asset, and they want to know what it is. They're they're curious. I think every one of my colleagues is talking to their CFO and C- CEO directly about it, and going into their C suites and presenting and discussing. Um, so I think it's I think it's a very interesting time. The aspect of workplace I don't think has ever had this much focus from a C-suite, and it's some of the factors you mentioned is well the workplace seems to be migrating to home, and that's freaking a lot of executives out. They they just not sure what to do with that, so they're wanting to get every opinion they can. And if it is migrating to home, then there's obviously questions about what happens with our corporate real estate. And my personal opinion is that, you know, we're just, we're going through and dealing with what's before us today. I honestly don't think those permanent solutions are clear to anyone, even though you see headlines. Um, And I boil it down to, it's my theory. This is the John Lucas theory of um, the COVID um, response. It comes down to hunter-gatherer. 
we are hunter-gatherers by nature. And I'm using that word tongue-in-cheek in that hunters, a lot of us in our career, we're project-oriented, we're project managers, which I kind of associate with hunting. You got to go out and deliver something. You got to put all your skills together and go out and hunt that project down and deliver it. We also are gatherers, and I put it this way, gather in a different sense. We like to gather together as a group, as a team, mm -hmm. um, with our own teams, and even through Cornet, for example, is a perfect example of the gathering experience that we have. And, you know, I think that's not going away. We love to share our stories. We love to share the battles we've gone through. We love to share the experiences, to learn from one another, to understand if people have taken on a challenge that you're about to take on, how did you do it? That's what this podcast is all about, right? Absolutely. So I believe that element of um, what's happening with the workplace will swing back to that gathering aspect that we really appreciate in the workplace Whereas some would have you believe today, the corporate environment is dead. The corporate office is dead. It's all gone. We're all working from home from here on out. I don't buy that. Mm -hmm. I think today we are doing that. Mm -hmm. But once this really is behind us, which that time frame is yet unknown, once it is behind, I think there'll be a rush to gather. And I think all of our associations and all of our companies will find people wanting to come back to that environment and share what, you know, our experiences have been. Yeah. I agree with you. I think, you know, if we're human creatures are social creatures. And so there's so much value in coming together. And I think we'll end up with, not to use the word hybrid, but that's kind of, I think, where we might, many companies will be heading. Let's, yeah. shift, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about it. Another very important topic, which is um, equity, diver diversity, and inclusion. And so maybe talk about a little bit how you see that in the real estate a component and how that looks at your company as well? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think our industry in general um, could use a lot of improvement in diversity and inclusion. Um, and I know that uh, organizations like Coronet are really focused on that this year and going forward. I mean, I, I think it's, um, I think it's an element that um, it's where you find a great deal of power and creativity and, um, vibrancy, if you will, when you're working in groups, it provides um, different thought perspectives. It provides balance. Um, I think the the most exciting and interesting groups I've worked with have been very diverse. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't tell you how many times I've been in meetings or in projects where, you know, the least likely person that you would expect actually provides the most uh, kind of inspirational insight into what you're doing. And they may not be the subject matter expert. They may have a completely different view to the project or a, a, a expertise that they bring, but they're able to ask the, a question that's pertinent. And without that level of diversity, you don't get those kinds of questions. And sometimes those kinds of questions are the ones that really make people stop and, and think and listen and second guess what they're doing. So just from the standpoint of the topic diversity, I, I just, you got to have it. You should look for it in any group. If you're looking around the table and it just looks very homogenous and everybody's saying the same thing and nodding and going, Oh yeah, I've been there. I've done that. You probably need to get other people on your team 
I mean, just get somebody from a different that knows nothing about what you're doing and say, could you just sit in the meeting um, and give us your perspective of what's going on? Good idea. Um, I, I mean, I've got story after story of people that I've seen uh, go through uh, experiences where they were brought into things or they were given an opportunity that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise been given and been very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say at Juniper, where I'm at, this is just a huge focus for us as a company. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a company-wide awareness programs. We have training. We have um, employee seminars. Um, we have guest speakers. Um, it's, it's now embedded in part of our hiring process. So there's a whole kind of inclusion and diversity component to w- what the hiring process is, the interview process. Mm-hmm. And all of it, I think, is, is great because it brings in just a more diverse population. Yeah. And, and, I, and I totally agree with you is that, you know, different experiences have different perspectives and they add value to, to the whole. And like you said, it, it's, it's human nature a little bit to hire people that look like you, sound like you, talk like you, but that becomes a very boring kind of environment. And so my company is Synopsis and we are also very, very passionately engaging in in building programs and whether it's internal to synopsis and engaging in external programs like Anita Borg and Society of Women Engineers from the women's side, but really across race, gender, all of the diversity that you really need to bring into an organization to keep it moving forward. Um, from my own personal perspective, of course, being a woman in real estate um, for you know 20 right. or so years now, right? it's much, much better now. But as yeah. you can imagine, 20 years ago, um, when I would go to a lot of meeting yeah. with my peers, we'd be at a table with 20 or so people and I'd be the sole woman, right? But yeah. I will tell you though, kudos to my peer group, I never felt out of place. I mean, it was always very welcomed and my my input was very embraced. So I think maybe we were ahead of the curve um, in this in this part, but uh, I'm glad to see a lot of my, my women peers um, coming up and engaging. Yeah, I know. And you and I have spoken about that in the past. Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, I, I just applaud you because I, I know the challenges must have been great, especially when you mentioned working internationally. Yeah. There's one thing to talk about this <laughs> as a domestic <laughs> U.S. citizen, but when you go overseas and to other countries, it's a whole other set of challenges from a diversity standpoint Yeah. Uh, and your role, right? Absolutely. Like I said, it's, it was especially back, back in the day when I started, uh, you know, for I'd be walk, going to a meeting landlords or going on tours with five or six other men. And I had to make I had to make it very clear my role in the group. I wasn't the note taker. Yes, right, exactly. So yeah, if I do it again in a very very cultural sensitive way and such. But yes, it was uh, exciting. Right. Yeah. So thinking of that, you know, you must have had some people that inspired you along the way that gave you that sense of I can do this. Mm -hmm. So who would you say are your kind of most significant mentors and, you know, what do you think um, they have provided as far as impacts and insights that you could share with us? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I've been at my company for 25 years, so I haven't had as, as a diverse you know, interaction, but obviously I've had a lot of mentorship just through my peer group, through all of you guys that, that I work with, you guys and gals, you know, that um, it's really, you know, I, that's what I love about Cornet. We'll talk about it a little bit in a few minutes, but just kind of the network that you get in and, and the sharing. But in my, my personal career, I think I would say two, two women, and they actually happened to both be females. One was one of the early parts of my career. 
um, where she was, she really pushed me out there to, um, to interact to kind of what I could do and my contribution levels. But now at Synopsys, I've had the fortunate of having the same manager for 25 years. Wow. Um, yeah. That's, it's amazing. that's unheard of. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a lot of my team, we've been together for a long time. And, um, you know, she actually had my role before me. And so um, there's, I just base, benefited from her learning, being, being ahead of me mm-hmm. in the career process. And as she learned, I learned, and she always challenges me to think uh, you know, really taking a broad perspective of data and information, see other people's perspectives, think the big picture, um, mm-hmm. and put myself out there, right, to say, what is the value you're bringing to the table in the conversation? Um, it, and it's just been invaluable. I mean, I've had the opportunity because of that, I think, you know, to grow in my career at the company and work across all parts of the organization and really build a team that is strategic, um, has very credible in our in our function. And so, um, it, you have to have somebody who challenges you, right? So yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah, that challenging, right? No, that that's great, and uh, as obviously she provided a safe place for you yeah. to be challenged. Um, yeah, I think one of those things from a mentorship standpoint is pushing you to the point where you could fail, but your mentor makes sure you don't. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And how about for you, for you, John? Anyone stands out for you? You know, there are people in my, I guess in my life, they're not, you know, famous and exciting people. They're just people that uh, have influenced me over time. Um, one was a gentleman that was a project manager at HP, and he literally was my mentor when I came out of college. His name was Steve Malin. And um, he was a great guy, very, very experienced. And uh, he gave me all his quote unquote crap projects <laughs> because I was the young kid on the block and, you know, he didn't want to do them. So he gave them to me. And then he guided me and he allowed me to take many things up to the point of failure, but then he would pull me in and kind of say, okay, maybe you shouldn't do it that way. And he would correct me. And, you know, I was more than eager to listen to him and Mm -hmm. I learned a lot from him. Uh, Another gentleman who, he was literally a neighbor down the block where I woke up or grew up. Um, His name was Ted Matson, and many things I learned from him. But one thing I learned from Ted and you couldn't avoid it if you met Ted, mm-hmm. is eye contact. Mm. He had the best eye contact of everybody, anybody I've ever met on the planet. And it was something about that that I learned from him that you really connect with people when you know how to give eye contact. Um, and it's, it, I don't know, he never told me that. I just picked it up from him. So in the sense of mentorship, it's like, I I realized one of the things that was so great about talking with him is he never left eye contact with you, no matter what was going on. And it was, it was just, so I've, I've kind of caught that. I've used that throughout my professional career, my personal career. Um, So, yeah, so there's, I mean, there's many others, there's a lot of more inspirational people, but um, those, those are two that come to mind for me right now. Yeah. People, people do shape us. Um, so, you know, as we're thinking about our, our younger generation and emerging professionals, uh, what advice might you give to them? Well, first of all, I would say you, you are in the right industry. I mean, you, the opportunities are fantastic for you as a professional in this industry. Um, to capitalize on those, I would say, you know, and this is probably known, but it needs to be said, do your homework. Um, 
make sure you know what you know you the information be the subject matter expert be the best at whatever it is you're doing whatever you whatever project you're working on whatever assignment you've got wherever you are in the organization be the best make sure you know the data the information and the way i th i like to think about this is a quote from howard deming and it simply says anyone without data is just an opinion a person with an opinion Oh. So know your data, know your information, um, have clarity of thought, and I would I would encourage them to think about these four C words: connect, conviction, courage, and composure. Throughout your career, one of the most important things you need to do is connect with people. So the more you connect with people, and this is what I mentioned in leadership earlier about empathy connect with people, connect with your peers, with your colleagues, make sure you build connections with people because that goes a long way in your ability to progress. Have a convic conviction about whatever you're working on. You're paid to have a conviction. Know your subject and have a conviction about it. Somewhere along the line, you're gonna be, you're gonna be put on the spot and somebody's gonna say, Bill, what do you think? Okay. And if you flutter, or hesitate or whatever, and you're in front of a CFO or anybody, right? They're gonna say, oh, Bill's not too confident. He may, maybe he doesn't know. So have conviction, have the courage to speak your conviction, especially if you're pressed, especially if you're dealing with managing upwards. You're having to say your conviction to those that are above you in the organization. Mm -hmm. And the last thing is composure. When you're at that moment where you have to give your, your conviction, take a moment, take a deep breath, and just be calm and have composure. So these four things, I just encourage everybody to remember and try to apply. Connect, conviction, courage, and composure. If you can apply those in the course of your career going forward, they will provide a wealth of opportunity for you. I would agree with that. And actually, you know, that those are some things I learned from my mentor as well about building allies. So right. that's a very important communicating often early and have an opinion, an informed opinion, but have an opinion. Have an opinion. So that's yeah. only about as a yeah, as an emerging professional, that's about now how do you get that? You have to learn. You have to take every opportunity to educate yourself, to be exposed to projects, anything like that that comes along, it's all about, you should be a sponge right now, just getting information. So I think that's a really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Barbara, I, just another question for you. How has your involvement in Cornet played a role throughout your career? I would say it's been very, very pivotal for me. And I'll just give a little bit of history of my, my experience and how I got involved with Cornet. So hopefully to encourage others really just got a phone call one day. Actually, it was from Joan Price at Gensler said, hey, are you going to the Cornet Summit in uh, San Diego? And I said, what's Cornet? And <laughs> that's yeah, how I started right. a long time ago. Right. Um, then I ended up getting onto the Northern California chapter um, on the programs committee and then stayed on the board there for quite some time, ultimately getting into 
fortunate to be the president for a couple of years. Yeah. And I just love that. And then, as you know, I've also just recently finished my stint at the global board with right. the government committee there. Right. And through all of that, just number one, the learning and the exposure is just amazing. And the network that you build of people, and it just really keeps you involved in your industry. Because I know at my company, especially when we're doing change initiatives, one thing they always ask is, well, what's everybody else doing? Right. Right. Absolutely. And I can go online and get information in the knowledge center. I can call up my peer group. I wouldn't have had to that otherwise. It's, it's invaluable in my, yeah. in my career. And how about for you, John? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think there's there's just a point of validation uh, that you can get on the, you know, whatever you might be working on. You can find colleagues at, uh, at the coordinate event that you can ask questions to and a lot of times you, you may learn something for sure, absolutely, but sometimes you may just validate what you're doing is really the right thing there. Others have done the same thing and people can say, yeah, no, that's right. You, you're, you know, you're thinking about it the right way. But you know, clearly the, the networking and training and the resources that are there. And um, like I mentioned earlier, I think you know, this aspect of gathering to kind of share, uh, share our experiences, um, it, it builds that network. Um, when you find somebody else that's had the same challenge that you have had, and you can share that, you, know, you build a relationship. And uh, that's really important um, as you go about your career. So Cornette's invaluable that way. I, I, I found it to be um, just, just a wealth of um, good experiences and, and great people. And, you know, honestly, here we are in 2020. I think it's, a, it's something that we're all missing because we can't get together. And when you think about all the wonderful Cornet events that we have had in the past, whether it's, you know, Day on the Bay or the golf tournament, and those things are just great fun. And, uh, you know, I, I'd I, I'm starved to go to those right now. So I'm looking forward to whenever we can all return to that and, and gather like that. Absolutely. And Barbara, with that, I just want to thank you for taking the time today to have this conversation, to share it with our Cornet colleagues. I found the conversation just to be enlightening, and um, I really appreciate the time you spent with us today. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, John. I've enjoyed it as well. Wonderful. And I want to thank all our listeners Please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues posted on social media. You can find all the chapter podcast episodes on Cornet NorCal website. And if you can subscribe to iTunes, you'll find it there as well. Happy listening. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>